once more up the stairs, around the corner, down the hall, into the tiny little room that we call a closet for two clowns in a closet. And I've decided to do a record setting start and go ahead and ask the first question just right now off the bat. Are all of you answering these questions or just two of you? Which two of you? It depends. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha Hello, I'm Marie and I am another clown in a closet. I am another part of the Circus Freaks. I am um one of the founding members of this group who was there when we figured out hey, this domain's available. And <laughs> I am really glad to get to be in the closet with you. I'm really glad to be in the closet here with you. Um, we have been excitedly waiting uh, actually to answer this question in particular because uh, as the format of this question indicates, the person who asked it was well aware that there are more than two clowns in our troop who could potentially be in a closet and answering questions with us. Um, and so we, we, we took a look at this and we set it aside and said, Ooh, we need to save this for an episode with Marie. And now we have. So only two of us at a time. It's a very small closet. But not just two of us at all total. We have solved the math equation. The answer is more than two. Mute! Uh, so normally, the way that we do this is we go back and forth, and uh, I would pose this question to you, and then you would pose this question to me, and then you would then ask the next question to me, and then I'll answer, ask that to you. We've, we've yes. clearly, however, answered this question together. Waha! So I will hand you the cards for... Question number two. Excellent. And the question is, why did you start clowning? Okay. So, uh, one, we have actually covered why and how I started clowning in previous episodes to now. Um, super short version is sort of on accident. I... Uh, saw other people gaining skills and capabilities by attending clown uh, related workshops and went I would like some of that please and uh, then just ran away with the circus um, I could give a more detailed answer but I think that's the quick summary um, we actually received like seven variants of the question why uh, which we really appreciated, and, and we're like, okay, we, we're going to space these out. And now they're totally spaced out. Yes. Yes, they are. I'm, I'm just glad you ran away to join the circus instead of running away from the circus. True, but you, you do hear more stories in the running away to the circus direction. It makes a better story. It does make a better story. And I, and I just 
haven't heard too many people running away from the circus in particular. Unless it's on fire, no. Ooh, yeah. I don't. I don't want to go down that. That's road. a particular story. No That's one wants that. That's a very particular story. No one wants that, and it has nothing to do with our circus. No, our so, circus has never been on fire. Well, our circus has had people who perform with fire. Yeah. Yes, but I thought being on fire was necessarily it being out of control. I think I might be wrong on that. It's not necessarily required that it be out of control. It is strongly implied, though, I think. Okay. So, now that we've thoroughly (laughs) veered off the original question, how about I ask you? Okay. (laughs) All right, here we go. Why did you start clowning? There is an argument that I've always been this way. Because I was raised by someone who made it his goal and his happiness to make other people more relaxed and more happy with silliness and with imagination. That is very clown. Yeah, I think so. I and he didn't consider himself a clown. Okay. But um he would say things like none dare call it humor about himself. Um which of course I have st- stolen. But so he used to do things like illustrate Reformation Sunday by by walking through the church and loudly selling indulgences and also everything in my house that had anything that looked like a face whether it was a flashlight or a potholder or something made with a, a face on purpose had a personality the flashlights would look at you meaningfully. There is a potholder that sits on a shelf of um, retirement and care because Pink and Friendly, the name of the potholder, who was friendly and was pink, and the, the way she expressed herself was really quite distinct. There was a whole song, but I don't know the melody anymore. That's a bummer. Yeah, I didn't hear it. Pink and Friendly was retired by the time I was cooking. Okay. Yeah, but they had a pink potholder with beautiful pearl button eyes, which instantly had to have a personality. That does make sense. And that was one of the first personalities. The other was the frog. Frogus Maximus Rex of the octagonal table, because at that time their dinner table was octagonal, was a pink porcelain frog bank, and still is, sitting on the same shelf of excellent viewpoint, looking over all of the friends in silliness. And so the frog has what they consider an enigmatic smile that kind of goes up and down, and looks vaguely worried. The frog became my dad's altered ego, who was able to say things my dad could not say, and had the permission to be afraid. And so the frog would be very afraid of fish. Oh no, fish are fish are scary. Hi, frog. 
hi. And uh, Froggy's friend Missy, the harbor seal, would reassure him that, no, Froggy, it's okay. Those are crackers. Those fish cannot hurt you. We are celebrating the victory over the fish. (laughs) (laughs) And the frog would accompany us on road trips because, of course, there was an invisible dome in the dashboard through which the froggy vision enabled the frog to take a trip with us. I grew up in this household. I would call home long after I'd moved out and get two minutes of news about the family and ten about the friends and what the reindeer boys had been up to and where the frog had been and how raucous the Naga Palace party had been. Wow. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. So that's where I'm from. And when I met some people whose goal it was to get adults to remember how to play. I joined them because, boy, that sounded like more fun than other things I was going to do on a Saturday. And at some point, some of us figured out that you could take classes in being a clown and that you could interact with people in ways that made them at ease and comfortable and entertain them in ways that weren't just doing tricks. And that sounded interesting. And I've been learning ever since. Wonderful. That, that's fantastic. That is a beautiful answer to that question. So I guess it's time to move on to the next one. Okay. So what do we got? We got when people, wow, this is, this is, it's a giant multiple choice question. Okay. Here we go. When people use clown car or clown world to describe politics they dislike or even hate, is your response to one, work hard to reclaim the word clown, educate people, Two, consider a new word. Three, expect people to know the difference between different uses of the word. Four, not care. Five, be sad. Six, be proud. Seven, something else, all or some of the above, etc. Someone has written an exam before. Luckily, we don't have to get all the answers right. We have to just get them true. Yes. So, I spend a lot of my performance time quietly reclaiming the concept of clown from the people who have decided it's something scary or terrible. But I'm assuming you've talked about that before. A little bit. We've touched on it. So I have run across some people who say, well, this whole thing is just clown shoes. And I tend to turn that with people who know I'm a clown into, well, someone's got to wear the big shoes. And if it matters less whether they know I'm a clown to be able to say something like, you know, if this were being run by clowns, I expect we'd all be having a little bit more fun. (laughs) Yeah. There are 
if I don't know people, I'm usually not going to respond too much because a lot of times I think they're using the word clown to make sure that what they're saying isn't going to offend. And a lot of them are thinking about the fact that they know clowns. <laughs> well, one, a lot of them don't know clowns. Or they don't know they know clowns. Or they don't know that they know clowns. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, if if you're concerned that your go-to phrase to indicate that you are unhappy with someone's behavior would otherwise be a slur against any minority group. Well, this is better than a lot of things. This is a heck of a lot better. And yes, if you if that's something you absolutely feel like you you would otherwise do, use clown. Please use clown. We can take it. it that is that is better. Clown is strong. Clown can take it. Yeah. Yeah. Clown can take it. Um. But yeah, that's so. So you try to just make light of it. Make it usually. It I, I think that goes along with the job. Yeah, definitely. So, when people use clown car or clown world to describe politics they dislike or even hate, is your response to work hard to reclaim the word clown, educate people, consider a new word, expect people to know the difference between different uses of the word, not care, be sad, be proud, something else, all or some of the above, etc.? Um, I'd say this is a sum of the above. Um, if, I think, I, I have yet to actually run into a situation in which I have heard this used that was not on social media. I've never heard this used in, in person. True. So I don't know how I would respond in person, but... When I see this on Mastodon or other parts of the Fetty, um, it really sort of depends. Because I will look at the tone of that person's post, and sometimes the posts before and after it, because there are points in time where this is used because somebody is just so furious. They're so angry. And there's a point where you get too angry to hear constructive feedback on how you're, on how you're languaging. Yeah. Like that's, there's a point where me chiming in about your, your word choice is so potentially pulling it off topic and dismissing the larger argument that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to just show up in that conversation and shut it down. However, when it's sort of... When it's sort of at that just grumbling, grousing sort of space, when it is, I'm, I'm saying words and they have some emotion behind them, but I'm not currently wanting to throw things... And that's the read that I get off the situation. And people are 
having further conversations about it and and or a situation is de-escalating hmm. when I when I encounter it because sometimes that's happening I will encourage a different word choice I will chime in and say um speaking as a clown um and it depends on how I handle that because I will really pull things in specifically because I think that discussion benefits from using descriptive terms hmm. of what it is someone is upset about. Because when people just say clown car, clown world, or clown shoes those uses are normally so overarching that it can just be definitely just sort of hey we'd be having more fun if this was actually a clown world or a car full of clowns um, but when somebody refers to someone as a clown when someone refers to like a specific politician mm-hmm. as a clown I, I like to point out that the conversation's going to get farther if you say this person is completely disconnected from their their base of who they're supposed to be representing or this person is actively malicious or this person is you know whatever thing it is they've done or Educate behavior certainly. they're showing that is making you that upset the conversation is benefited by you actually isolating that and describing it because while I am going to circle back and double down on if otherwise you would be using a ableist slur or a slur against anybody, any minority group 100% I would prefer to see you use the word clown but because the the number of people who you're going to who are going to hear that and think that you are equating these two things and that sad is smaller like you're not going I, I know that you don't actually mean that I'm the same as that politician but and I had a choice I chose to be a clown so yes this is a better choice but in the same way that you have done nothing to actually express your your concerns or actively express why you're upset if you choose to use a slur like you have done the same thing here you've just chosen a a word that's less likely to offend people. And so you're not getting your point across. You're getting something close to your point across, but you're not actually expressing yourself. So I, I do strongly encourage people to try to hone in more on what they're actually upset about and less on just the blow up and the blow off. But at the same time, I know sometimes you just need to vent and I'm not about to, like, jump into somebody's 
situation when they just need to vent. Like, that's fine. But I do think one of the one of the options on that I think was expect people to know the difference and there's a certain level where you do expect people to know the difference but I also know that the more that we as a society anywhere whether this is as an internet society as a country if you're from a particular place any any grouping the more that we choose to equate those two things the more I'm running into having to defend it Hmm. the more those two things are associated in someone's head and clown is such a beautiful thing and can be such a beautiful and meaningful thing that it does it does upset me. It does make me sad when people make those 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 two things equal in in how they're expressing. Um and I see I have seen performers who do the choose another word option. I don't intentionally, but I've seen people that like um Avner Avner Eisenberg super famous super popular clown performer and there's no question what he's doing is clown what he teaches is clown he teaches with noses like that is what he does but the label that he puts on his performance is eccentric performance and he calls himself Avner the eccentric because Avner the clown it rings different. Yeah. Rings differently and creates different images for people. And he chose, and I totally respect the choice. Like, this is not me throwing shade anywhere. He chose not to connect those two things in people's brains. I like the fact that I get to do a little bit of repair work. But I totally get it when performers are like, you know. People actually want to come see your show if they don't think they're coming to see a clown show. And I think that's sad. That is. It's sad that that's the state of things. But it is you have true. You to find euphemisms for clown. I mean, I've heard people point out that clown is a four-letter word in America. Now, for everybody who's currently counting on their fingers... <laughs> Just drop the vowel. It'll be okay. Clown is spelled with five letters. This is just just a uh, a comparison. Yeah. So when you're talking about other words, the the other related word I do hear applied to politicians is buffoon, and that has its own connotation because buff- buffon is such a closely related uh, but it, it's closely related art but it has a different goal oh yeah no that actually so I think I would almost be totally willing to get behind the statement of go ahead and call them buffoons especially if what they're doing is ridiculous and that's why you're calling them that because you're you're 100% right because buffon is about 
is often specifically about calling out politics. Um, it can also be about calling out some other things, but it's often very specifically about political, um, political commentary because you take the awful, nasty thing, whatever it is, whatever thing you as the performer are trying to, uh, point out is gross and disgusting and you heighten that to the biggest degree you possibly can and hold it in front of the people so that they see it and that is what Buffon is for so like yeah I kind of feel like that's fine I'm I am not a Buffon performer so so I've tried it it's hard (laughs) So it's possible that somebody who who actually performs Buffon would would feel differently in that that what their job Fair. is is to point out that this should not be happening it is whereas whoever we're pointing out that we're upset with is the reason why the Buffon would need to create those same behaviors but it's much more closely tied together because the oh, clown yeah. is supposed to be the much more innocent variant right. of that. It's about positivity. It's about love. It's about human emotion in, it can be anything. We've talked about how it can be any range, like the full range of human emotion, but it does tend much more towards there is sort of a split between like the the gross the worst we're gonna get honestly is a fart joke yeah and like the 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 very deep deep into the nitty-gritty of like how bad human beings can be and i'm using that i'm using the word bad in a wide scope that includes things that some people would feel are not necessarily bad. So I don't want to actually, like... But it covers a whole range of things. But it does cover a whole range. And it's co- And I think it's a decent term to use here, is, like, the really negative sides of, of humanity are a huge part of what Buffon explores. Um, and, yeah, so they're at least a lot more tied together. Like, we're using the word clown... It also, it implies something that I think nobody, nobody realizes they're implying. The clown never knows better. Oh, no. And so it's ascribing innocence to the people. It's ascribing not knowing better. Yeah. A clown never knows better. If they are hurting somebody, like it is part of a sketch or something, like if if somebody's being emotionally upset, who's a onstage partner, I want to be really clear about that, not an audience member if an audience member is upset by a clown we've done the clown has done the wrong, wrong has done something wrong um but if a clown makes a mistake they are unaware of why it's wrong they are unaware that it's wrong until they are informed of it which is sometimes the entire arc of a bit or a scene is or a show heck an entire arc of a show could be clown made a mistake and has to be informed why that's a mistake like that could be a, a total clown arc 
but clowns don't know better. So if you're saying Mm. that the politician you hate is a clown, you are strongly implying that they don't know any better. And if that's what you mean to imply, I suppose that's okay. I don't think I've ever seen a situation where somebody was ranting about a politician or a group of political decisions where they actually felt like the politician didn't and couldn't know better at the time. It's the and couldn't that that puts the pin in that. Because I, I have seen some people who were... Um, Ascribing stupidity. Specifically, using yeah. the word stupid, yes. So so that is true. However, most politicians, you can strongly argue that their job is to know better. They're supposed to know something. Like, that's that's why they they're... They ran on the idea that they know better than whoever. Yes. So, yeah. so, so to not get into any actual details of politics, no I, think, details. I think I can, I can point out very clearly you're strongly implying that there's no way they could have known better and uh i don't think that's what you're going for i've never seen a situation where someone used it where that's what they were going for so so i like your premise of just try saying what you mean i find it's useful very cool i believe the next question i believe you have the next question it's time for the next Ooh. What is your favorite question to ask other people? Ooh, this one's a fun one. Okay, so this one is slightly situation dependent. So it splits into two to two questions. It is either what you're doing or what do you really like to do? Um, I want to be really clear. That is not me asking about somebody's job. Like, if that happens to be how they also make money, great. But that's not the thing I'm asking about. I'm asking about what people really enjoy doing, what people enjoy spending their time doing. And asking about what somebody is actively working on. I think one of my favorite things ever was for a while I was a member at a make at a local makerspace. And it was culturally very common that you would walk into a room and somebody would be working on a project and you had to try to figure out cues as to whether somebody was willing to have you approach them or not. But if they were, because obviously if somebody's busy and working on something and is trying to think, leave that person alone. (laughs) But, um, I would sometimes get the opportunity to become a rubber duck. Um, And, yes, make all the squeaking noises. No, um, would... The phrase, I think, comes from the software development community, uh, which is about if you are sitting with a problem uh, in the development of something and you are stuck and you are having a very hard time figuring out what is wrong or why it's wrong or how you could move forward 
one of the strongly encouraged tactics is to take a look at whatever you have nearby that has a face uh, for whatever reason the assumed go-to is that somewhere you have a small rubber duck or can acquire one and you look at that duck and you explain the problem to them and you explain the problem to them as if they only know the very basics of whatever your industry is. Like, like if they sort of understand how, how coding works in an overarching way, but like they don't know the details of how Python or Ruby or I'm not about to just go and list off all of the programming languages I know. Uh, of that I know of <laughs> I can't I can't program worth anything but or you assume that they don't necessarily know how the language works but they understand the concepts that would allow you to do uh, like what's referred to as pseudocode where it's like oh you know the bits and pieces you just don't understand the details of how it's written in this language and so you review what it is you're what the problem is and what your goal was and how you were trying to achieve it with them out loud because it's very common that you'll stumble across how what's supposed to be happening differs from what is happening you'll likely stumble across it in your explanation oh yeah that's what you're going for you're going for this moment where you say, oh, in the middle of the conversation. And then because you're having it with an inanimate object, you can you drop that. Spin, co- you can do it. Yeah, you can drop that conversation and just go fix something. Um, however, one thing that a actual inanimate object cannot do is ask you questions from the from that place where they don't really know how something works and they would like a little bit more explanation because maybe this, you know, because maybe this very simple thing is actually where the problem is because sometimes you have a typo and you just can't see it because you're blind to it at that point because you've read it so many times. Um, and this applies to practically any anything you're trying to do the difference between your expected outcome and your current outcome of whatever if you're building something if you if you're coding something if you're trying to write a song if you're trying to do like if you're trying dance steps anything the difference between what you were going for and what you have is really, really, really often somewhere where things got a little jumbled at the basics. So it can be really helpful to have somebody ask some of these, some of the really basic questions. So I get to do that sometimes. If I ask somebody what they're doing and they're not in a point where they're like thinking, come back later. 
uh, and they're in a place where they're like, oh, okay, so I'm making this, and this is the point of it, and this is what I'm working on, and this is the thing that has me stumped now. One, I get the info dump. Oh, love them. Love info dumps. Um, just hearing everything, because they're so excited. And I love hearing people be excited. So I get the info dump of this project that they're super excited about. And then two, sometimes I get to be a rubber duck. Sometimes I get to actually ask a question that then they're like, I need you to hold that thought because I need to, I need to fix something. And then I'm actually, this used to be kind of hard for me, but I've gotten really good at being like, okay, I'll wander off and come back later. <laughs> Cause I see. Cause then you know, you're actually helping. You need to do something. Um, if I, if it is not a, I'm currently working on something and it's a, what is it that you really like doing? You still get that same info dump. But if you've actually convinced somebody that you really want to know, because right. sometimes, yeah, people are very hesitant about it and they don't want to know what I like. I'm boring. Yeah. I, yeah. I get a lot of that and that's sad, but it is a lot of fun to actually get an info dump about thing people are excited about. I mean, I will retain like maybe five percent of it. Like but if the five percent you retain can start a conversation the next time. Yes. And then I'm like, okay, you were doing a thing with like a what's it and you were gonna try to improve this thing or Bob and they're like, Yes and then they dive right in because <laughs> they can't. Um I, I don't talk to a lot of neurodiverse people. You talk to a lot of neurodiverse people. Uh, <laughs> no, I do, and it's amazing, and I love it. Um, and and it's fun to encourage that kind of thinking in anybody, though, too. Yeah. Just, to, just to show enthusiasm for something people like, which I've mentioned oh, that yeah. I like before. Oh, yeah. Helping people like things is even better than letting people like things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's tons of fun. So I, I, I adore doing that. Yay. I like that very much. Shall I ask you? Sure. All right. What is your favorite question to ask other people? So I, I'm going to answer this for my usual clown people that I am. Okay. Um, because that's when I most interact with people I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I have, I spend a lot of time at events where I'm kind of ambient. If I'm doing that, my first question is almost always going to be some variant of, hey, have you found the fun yet? And if it's yes, then I get to be happy and dance about it. And if it's looking for it, then maybe we get to go on a quest together, and that's fun. And Ooh, quests, quests are great. And if it's no, then I have a job, and it might be to um, try to add a little fun to whatever's going on right now. Uh, it might be to um, say, you know, I think that over here 
there was some really weird stuff happening. You want to come check it out? Uh, it could be any variety of that. So my, my other most fun question ever to ask people is an invitation. Okay. Would, would you like to? I spent a long time swing dancing, and every once in a while when someone seems particularly open and willing and already standing up and already looking at me, I will get to ask them, would you like to dance with me? And very often this is when I'm three foot up on my stilts, and having someone dance with the weird stilt clown that's great fun. That that makes my I, life more fun. I have noticed that people seem to be much more willing to dance with a stilt dancer, with a stilt performer, than they are to dance with a at normal human height clown. I think it might break the expectations that people would have with normal human height people about... Uh oh, but if I dance with you, it might mean something, and that's scary. I think. Because they can't dance yeah. with me in the same way. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think also you have the, um, the relative closeness and the, the range at which you might end up being with True. somebody. Because somebody at human height is. Like, it is, it is the wait, are we dancing with, like, is that, are we now going to be touching? Are we now going to be very near each other? How much is this breaking, breaking into my comfort zone? Whereas you're not getting close to a person who's on three foot peg stilts. You just, it's not happening. And I don't do that when I am at normal people height. It's not in my repertoire. Yeah. Um, now, I'll end up dancing near people and and um, oh, what if connecting it, with them oh, yeah. visually. Oh yeah, and if there's a dance, and sometimes floor. they will, yeah, come along. But no, it's different. Yeah, you are right. I love watching um, people dance with whether it's tall foley, your clown. Or or Tree, who's a very common stilt character from yours, who's sort of a... Uh, um, sort of tree spiritish. Yeah, sort it's of like a... It's not very like a tree. Sort of like it's a dryad. The, I'm not really a tree. My name's Tree. But also you are a tree. I have leaves. I have bark. Um, I don't look like that tree over there, but it's my friend. Uh but it is great fun to see to see how people choose to dance because they are stuck dancing by themselves. Uh-huh. Because it, it is it is you dance by yourself, I dance by myself. But, but we're, we're dancing visually connected. together. Yeah. And yes. It's yes. a lot of fun to watch. Yay. A lot of times when I see Jane on stilts dancing, it will be any line dance is like a magnet. 100%. 100%. Jane loves line dances, which is probably because I love line dances. Um, I mean, Cupid Shuffle, I, I am on the floor. It doesn't matter what the situation is. I could have been deep in a conversation about something 
incredibly meaningful. And like, I would have to be incredibly worried about somebody else's mental health and stability in that exact moment. Like, that's the only thing that would keep me from that dance floor. I'm trying to keep it shuffle. Would yep. be would be a a uh, a duty of care situation. Like that is, if I am not literally responsible for somebody else's well being in that moment, I am on the dance floor. And and they can come join me and have well being together. Oh, a hundred percent. But like, there's moments where you don't have that, and I don't want to pretend that that's not the case. But like any other option, Cupid Shuffle plays. I am on the floor. <laughs> uh, the same can be said for a lot of the standard. Um, line dances that you'll see at parties and it's it is so much fun to do because no one expects the stilt walker to do that um which we haven't actually talked a lot about stilt walking uh at this point on the podcast so if i'm I'm taking this detour we're going on this ride uh because you are you are really our number one stilt walking performer i do a lot of it but if you're talking about line dances, I remember going to a late night wedding party. Oh, loca the, aura. The the aura loca. Aura loca, yeah. Yeah. Oh my Where gosh. The people were from two different cultures, and they were teaching each other their dances. Yes. Oh, the, okay. So this was a this was a this was a night. So. One, um, this is a, this was a cultural moment we got to be a part of. And I am totally blanking in this moment as to which cultural heritage the bride, I think it was the bride had. Um, I think Luca or is Venezuelan, but I don't know what the other culture was either. But so, so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure and I'm not going to pretend that I am, but the idea is I think it's at I think it's at eleven, so it's the eleven to twelve hour, but it might be the twelve to one. But there is an hour, thus the name Oroloka, uh, where somebody distributes weird hats. Everyone gets up and dances, and it's the end of the party. Like the party can continue after that point, but it's arguably the end of the party because. That is used as the cover to get the bride and groom out of there without family members and everybody else trying to hold them up. So this is the, it's it's how yes. they they escape from their own wedding reception. and and we got in there. and so we they hired us to distribute the hats. And to be part of the dance party. And we were both on stilts. And you were on three-foot peg stilts. And I was on two-foot peg stilts. And I think it's worth talking a little bit about what peg stilts are. So slight veering. Sure. Uh, there are multiple different forms of stilts. One of the forms of stilts that most people have probably seen stilt walkers on some event in are... Um, drywall drywall stilts or painter's stilts they are constructed they're called that because they are actually constructed for people in those professions they are incredibly good at holding you standing stationary 
That's what they're for. So you can walk around in them, you can stand still forever in them, and they are they are a form of portable um, scaffolding. Scaffolding. Yeah. Like that's what they're for. Uh, they are used for a lot of performers to have somebody in an awesome costume out at an event, waving to people, standing still, walking to the next location, standing still, waving to people. Great photo ops. Um, and and it's, a, it's a solid way to do. We use peg stilts, also known as dancing stilts, because they are... There's a couple of ways they can be made, but they're essentially a small uh, wooden stick under your under your feet that just goes down to a rubber stopper or aluminum or aluminum. Yeah, yours are aluminum, but you know it's it is exactly it's it's pegs. It is that you've got some some foot some pole. It goes down as a rubber stopper at the bottom. So you are on very small feet. You have no toes. You have no articulation. It's really great for spinning. As long as you don't do it too many times in a row. Um, but the, Yeah, they're called dancing stilts in some places because you cannot stand still. You can stand still for like really brief periods of time and you're still not actually still. You can hold yourself but you are in motion. Balanced. But that's by like doing shifts back and forth with your weight. You're just not actually lifting your foot. Like that's the closest you can get. And that's what we use. Um, there are others in the troop that also use jumping stilts, which are big recurved springs. With an entirely different personality of their own. Because... At that point, you're never at a static height either. You're yeah, because you're, you're bouncing. bouncing. Um, I don't know a ton about it because I, I didn't fit into them when I tried. Right. Um, when I tried using them. So I've not really used them. Um, have you? Been no, on the, the calf length is too long for me, too. Okay. It's my um, knee in a bad way. And it, that can be altered. For the record, you can fix that problem on any given set. We just left the set in question Adjusted, available for the person, the person who, uses it. who uses it. Yeah. Um, because it's a big adjustment to make, not a small one. Um, but so, yeah. So so we're there on peg stilts. And you are on three-foot pegs, and I am on two-foot pegs. And we always have... If we have a stilt walker out, they have a ground person. Thank goodness for roustabouts. Who keep us safe. Yeah. Um, mostly that is just making sure that nobody walks into you while they're on their phone and they're not paying attention while they're walking. Like, that's the number one. Number two is hearing what the three-year-old said for the person who's nine feet up. Yep. There's that. And then, and then there are these weird scenarios. I, we've got really lucky with this situation because my my roustabout for the night was Russ and we were already starting to train acrobatics together we hadn't gotten very far but we were training acrobatics together by that point somebody set off a mylar 
confetti cannon. Slippery! And so this dance floor was covered in small pieces of mylar. That is not a safe situation for a still walker. And it was not going to be navigable by you at three feet. No, I, I, I went out to the carpet at that point. Yeah, we took one look at the situation, because this was after we passed out the hats. We took one look at the situation and unanimously decided you were taking the outside loop. And I was I was going in. Uh, because I, I checked in with, you know, with Russ and said, have, have you got me? And we know he can lift me above his head at this point. So it's like, yeah. He's got me. So he's much closer. Because normally, normally that, that grounds person is a bit away. Like, they're there, and they're close enough in that they can affect the pattern of people traveling. But mostly, they're just behind the stilt walker and a few paces back, which is enough to give them some control over the situation. But he was directly behind me. So that if I slipped, I could intentionally lean back. He could catch me, which is never the intent. Like, that is not how rousing for a stilt walker works. works. You don't catch a stilt walker. A stilt walker controls their fall down to the ground. There is a correct way in which you don't get hurt if you do it right. If anybody gets weirdly inspired by this and decides that they want to go learn how to use stilts, go for it. Um, wear knee pads. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the, I'm gonna put the that out there. The the safety tip of please, 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 please wear knee, wear at least knee pads. You probably won't risk guards when you start, but minimally wear knee pads and find somebody who knows how to fall properly to teach you how to fall. It's really the only absolute basics that you really truly need instruction for but you do yeah um backing up so he goes so he comes in uh and is ready for me to be able to lean back if i need to fall which is the opposite of what i'm supposed to do uh, <laughs> and and catch with him Recalibrate. standing back up um and yes then we had this this cultural exchange going on which I witnessed because I'm full two feet above everybody else, I saw where these two groups had merged, because this is this is two families that are now becoming one family, uh, at least theoretically. And so on the dance floor, we had one group of people trying to teach this dance to this other group of people. And for the immediate circle, everyone's watching one person who's showing them how to do this dance. But then... I'm a couple of rings of people out and I can see that like third and fourth and fifth rings would love to learn this dance but cannot see the person who is teaching it. So I took it upon myself as the tall person to mimic as closely as I possibly could the instructor not just doing the dance, but doing it in an instructing way. 
so that everyone learned it in multiple stages back. And it was fantastic. I I love this use of dancing on stilts. Fantastic. And was such a great, like, I had been practicing being the person in the Cupid shuffle, going with my hands over my head, showing to the right, to the right, Mm -hmm. to the right, to the right, to the left, and then, like, making a kicking hand motion. Like, that is a, that's, that's how I do the Cupid shuffle, particularly if I do it on stilts. But so it was great to take that, like, how I do that. And then apply it to this situation was ugh, just so good. So good. Yes. What was the question we were answering? What question? Do you enjoy it? Asking ah, people. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and from there we diverged. Welcome to Two Clowns in a yeah. Closet. Still Walker edition. <laughs> Divergence happens. Okay. So I asked you. And then I this asked question. you. No, uh, you asked no. me this question. Then oh. I asked you this question, which okay. means I think if we've the next one. answered it, then I ask you the next. I one. believe so. Okay, which is why these are still in my hand. That makes question sense. Question enough. Here we go. What's the most classical clown gag, e.g., squirt flower, nose honk, etc. That is still considered a crowd pleaser today. So, I I love the word classic because it doesn't become a classic unless it sticks around, and it doesn't stick around unless someone likes it. Is this is like a jazz standard? We we do not do these as you call them classical scenes. Uh, the same way Aristotle did, because <laughs> we have different culture, but everyone puts their spin on. So I I enjoy some of the old ones. I think which one's a crowd pleaser really depends upon your crowd and on what you in particular are into. Because what you're not into is a lot harder to sell. Oh yeah, don't do don't do something on stage you don't like doing. You might be stuck doing it for the rest of your life. Don't do that to yourself. Ooh, like yikes. if it's if yeah. it's the thing that's the hit, and people keep trying to hire you for that for the rest, don't do. If you don't like something, don't do it on stage. This this is a good guidance. Yeah. Do something you like. Yeah. So one of the ones I like is called the Whipcracker. And I've been on both sides of this, but I am typically, I have performed it on the, the very low status side. So there is a whipcracker who is introduced as the fabulous, the greatest whipcracker in the world who is going to demonstrate for you his prowess. And there was a particular person I am visualizing with whom I performed this a number of times. I love this performance. I have seen it a number of times. We have currently, I think, last time I checked the website, we do have a video of this performance between you and that performer on the website. You can see 
him get frustrated in all his glory. It's great. But do explain the rest of the the rest of the the bit. So so I get to be the whipcracker's assistant. And of course that means I get to help. And of course if a clown helps you, it's going to be harder. So I spend some time uh, being where I'm not supposed to be. And then my job, once I identify where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing, is to hold up a newspaper so that it may be split by the whipcracker, whose whip is a bit of cord on a piece of dowel that is far too short to actually reach me. Yeah, because it's like two feet of cord and he's standing like ten feet away. Like, the, this is... There's re- no way. There's no way. But... He is the greatest whipcracker since Drisket, and therefore he will succeed. And so I get distracted by the newspaper because there's the funnies. And so when he's ready for me, I'm really not ready. It's not up. And he has to coax me into place. This happens a few times. And finally, I am convinced to hold it up. And as he cracks... Paper tears in half miraculously, and I oh, we've succeeded to die. Isn't he great? At which point, now the newspaper is smaller, and the whipcracker will um, split the smaller paper. And I'm a little bit more nervous about this, but but I'm willing. And oh, oh no, here's the obituaries, and who's I knew them, and oh no, I'm supposed to be holding this up. I don't want to be in that obituaries page next. I'm scared. And so that has about the same level of um, Foley can't get things in the right place at the right time until that gets torn in half. And the third one is even smaller, very small. And I am now officially afraid that I am going to get hurt doing this. And so... I beat the whipcracker to the punch and tear it in half and say, ta-da! And, uh, of course, the whipcracker knows that I have spoiled the trick. After which, the consequence is that now I must hold a rose in my teeth. And, of course, that's not my face. That's not my hands. That's my face. And I'm scared. And I have to be coaxed into holding the, the flower up instead of letting it droop in my in my fear. And somewhere right as the whipcracker is cracking the whip, I managed to lose my pants. One must wear very large pants. Pants drop. Everyone loves a pants drop. So th- th- there are gags embedded inside. Gags, pants drop could fall in in the um category you've listed like squirt flower. Yeah, it is yeah, it, is, no, totally. it is a beat. It's a beat. Followed, of course, by the reaction to the beat, which is realizing that your outrageous underwear is showing to the audience, and the whipcracker's not happy, and I better run. So, we why I audited that without why I auditing it, right? Because you don't have you don't have the whipcracker. We in in the version of it I've seen you do. You don't have the whipcracker. Why I oughta you off of stage. No, I'm not why I oughta. I, I run because, well, I've, now I've been exposed. And, of course, now the whipcracker has to clean it up. 
all by himself without his assistant, who is ever so helpful. <laughs> I am amazed at the level to which this is one of those one of those things of the clown experiences the full range of human emotion and because it's so intense and because it's so over the top it's hilarious because when you just say that that your character is scared during all of this i mean i think we're hearing it in in your tone of voice um, we're getting some level of the of the heightened level of it but like if it just was a person scared and it just really read like somebody is being awful and oh, expecting no, this scary this person to be this scared and still do the thing, that would be bad. That would be no, awful. You have and to go so over the top that it's not possibly real. And it's so funny once it's that far over the top, which which the pair of you definitely succeeded with. Um, no question. I love that. I love I love that performance and. Uh, when it comes to the classics, when it comes to the, the classic uh, tricks and gags, I think I think Foley has done more of them than any of the other clowns in our troupe. But I could be wrong. I have not seen every performance this troupe has ever done because I I, I I was not in the original founding members category. You're probably still right though. But but Foley has done so many of the classics and is so good at them. It's so good. Like it just makes me really happy every time I see one. You don't have to make everything new. Just make it yours. Yep. So, I suppose can I ask you this one? Yes. Yes. You can ask me this one. So, what is the most classical clown gag, e.g., squirt flower, honk nose, etc., that is still considered a crowd pleaser today? Okay, well, I think you covered the the fact that this is you know, this is this is one person's opinion. This is two people's opinions. Um and you have to just you find out what the crowd likes like that's not going to be consistent um but i'm going to take i i know i know i keep taking us on tangents today but i am going to take us on a small tangent because this is something that i feel very strongly about the nose honk yikes i understand logically why whomever it was because i don't know who did this i logically understand why whomever came up with the idea of embedding a squeaker in a nose if that even happened because i bet it was actually somebody put a squeaker in their pocket or a horn in their pocket and honked it when their nose got squeezed, that strikes me as much more likely. Having the choice is interesting. But I don't know who popularized this. Like, I don't know why this became a thing. I get that it's funny. Like, legitimately, whomever came up with that idea in the first place, probably genius. Unfortunately, 
it has then plagued the rest of all clowns ever since. Because people are convinced for some reason that clown noses honk. <laughs> My clown nose is made out of paper mache. No honky. It does not honk. Uh, most clown noses I know of are made out of um, either a uh, molded latex or a molded resin of some kind. Um, I know that there are clowns who use leather noses. I know there are like there's a tons there's tons of ways to construct a nose. I don't think I have ever seen a professionally working clown that I've encountered whose nose embeddedly honked. No, nor I. I don't think I have ever seen this. I don't think I've ever seen a nose that can honk. It's quite Except for the Halloween store. See, I haven't even seen the one in the Halloween store. I believe you that one exists in a Halloween store because it's just too prevalent of an idea. But... I have never seen somebody who's actively working who has done that to themselves. Um, but, but despite the fact that nobody seems to do that anymore, at least, um, this does lead to an infinite parade of not just children, children, teens, adults, Reaching for your face. Reaching for your face. Or asking or demanding to touch your nose. I run into this a lot. It's not a little bit. It's a lot. Um, I wear a string nose. It's, it's visible that there are strings on my face connecting my nose around the back of my head. It is clearly... An item of clothing, I think, is kind of yeah. the way that it feels. Like, it is It is also a mask. And has a lot of stuff embedded oh, about yeah. that. But I don't think most people are aware that that's impacting them, if it even is. So, it's... I think it reads sort of like a... Sort of like how there are people who are just always wearing that hat. Or are always wearing that hoodie. It's, it's an part article of, of clothing. Then. It's part yeah. of who they are. But it's an article of clothing. Th- that's sort of how my nose reads. Because it is not mysteriously attached to my face. Um, which is something that, that does happen when you use a glue-on nose. Or one like common. mine that attaches inside my nose. Oh, I forget that yours uses the, like... It's like a fake septum ring. Yeah. I forgot that you have one of those. They are so cool. I like them. Um, but, but it doesn't seem to, I have not seen there be a drastic difference between the likelihood of someone reaching for your nose, no matter which version. There isn't. Um. They do it less when I'm three feet up. Yeah. And I will forgive infants for this indefinitely. Like forever I will forgive infants for this they're literally just trying to grab things off of faces. They'll do that with glasses, too. It's not... That's not about it being a clown nose. Um, but typically, I end up having to fend this off 
And the number one way I do it is by retorting with the question of, well, can I touch your nose? Which I think, which I think is beneficial for all parties. Oh, yeah. Because while I do get this from, and normally I don't get it from adults who aren't intoxicated, but I do get it from intoxicated adults. I do get it from teenagers. Uh, Though normally when I get it from teenagers, it is in some sort of, it's attached to the same feelings of I'm going to try to get this clown to scare my friend who's scared of clowns or the I'm going to bulk up who I am by defending my friends from a clown. I don't. Wow. It's in a weird teen aggression thing whenever that happens. It's not yeah. super common, but it does happen. Most often it happens with kids who are in that age range where they haven't really learned the empathetic self, the empathetic sense of other people have personal boundaries too. Like they may be behaving like there's there are there are parts of it that they learn how to do of you don't get too close to other people purely because these are the rules but they haven't quite started to process those those empathetic possibilities that's just a stage in growth thing like that is a thing that you pick up as time goes on some people pick it up earlier some people pick it up much later (laughs) (laughs) but it happens at some point and so it really helps when there is a moment like that, which is a, I have either requested or demanded a, I say I as the child, I've either requested or demanded that I be allowed to invade somebody's personal space to an intense degree. Touching someone's face is a intense boundary crossing. Whether that is a boundary violating decision where you have not actually gotten consent or it is a boundary crossing with permission it's still crossing those people boundaries so when I respond with well can I touch your nose people have an immediate reaction to that whether they are open to it or they are immediately repulsed by the idea of somebody touching their face or anywhere between that, they at least have an immediate reaction and, real, and, and often will process through to the realization that that is what they just asked or demanded of another person. It's very easy to de-person the clown because they are so much larger than life. And that is part of, that is actually weirdly part of the goal. Because if they weren't so big, we would have had the same problem of like, if, if you're too real, scared Foley isn't funny because yeah. scared Foley is a person who's scared. So it's part of what you're trying to accomplish as a clown, but you also still need to find a way to maintain something like personal boundaries. We don't have much. 
by way of personal boundaries. As, as clowns, you don't get the opportunity to. But that is where you go coming to a totally different level. So normally, this goes down, let me touch your nose. Well, can I touch your nose? No! Done with conversation. We have passed this point. Everybody recognizes that these are boundaries we don't actually want to cross. And now we move on to something else. And it is my job to lead people to something else at that point. Yes. Because I can't just let it sit there. there. But, you know, now we move on. Fine. But what is kind of amazing, and I will say is a cool side effect of this, is I have had a couple of opportunities where a small child... When I ask, well, can I touch your nose? And I want to be very clear. I ask this question so that people can process through to them to their own realization of that. It is never with any movement towards the child. Because I want them to realize that they've asked to cross a boundary. I don't want them to feel like they are about to have their boundaries crossed. There's a big difference. So there is no reaching from me. There is no moving towards them. There is just me posing the question. And I have had some small children who stop and they think about it for a minute. And they come to the conclusion, and it's difficult to tell exactly what conclusion they come to, but some variant of that they are willing to have the clown touch their nose for them to be able to touch the clown's nose. I don't know how much of that at any given point it's impossible to tell what's going on in somebody else's brain. So I have no idea how much of that analysis ends up being that's going to make me uncomfortable but I really, really, really want to know what the nose touch feels like or how much of it is oh, yeah, that doesn't seem like a big deal to me, and I would like to do this, so let's go for it. I can't tell which of those things it is, but it is that the child consents to have their nose touched so that they can touch my nose. And they... So they they stand there for a moment, thinking about it, and then they say either yes or okay at which point I have by this point if they've been thinking like that it's very likely that I have managed to make myself at a similar height to the child by this point Mm -hmm. and so then there will be a very very gentle like I will say okay there will be a very slow very gentle movement where I will move one hand towards their face I'm being calm I'm being soft in my movements and I'm giving them a ton of time to back out of this decision if they decide that a barrier has been crossed because you don't always know Mm -hmm. where your boundaries are when you're that young And I'm not trying to cross a kid's boundaries. That is never my goal. So I slowly, carefully Mm. 
touch the tip of their nose, whoop them on the snoot lightly, and then then retreat my hand. Typically, this results in a giggle. Because by this point, we are all playing very nice. Yes. And then, I stay very still. As they, because they are mimicking how I did this, Mm -hmm. move very slowly, very carefully, insofar as they're capable of, because sometimes fine motor skills are not super well developed at this point, um, reach out and touch my nose with a very small tap, which I've noticed is often just a little bit longer than (laughs) the amount of time I am touching their nose because... They're processing. They're processing. They had they had things they wanted to know about this situation. And most of it I think is a texture thing. It's a it's a it's either a texture thing or it is a I want to prove that this is real. Uh-huh. Because clowns are they, we, people behave like they are creatures of myth. And they don't actually exist in real life. So when people meet them, they're very confused. You're not real. They're very confused. And it's like, we do exist, uh, as it turns out. And yes, this is my nose and it is real. Um, Those are beautiful moments. I will give that those are beautiful moments. But I will also say, so much invasion of space. because they think they can honk it and they think it will make a honk sound and so to whomever the brilliant (laughs) clown was why why did you have to do this to us but to backtrack to the actual question (laughs) to backtrack to the actual question um I think my favorite classic clown gag is probably dead and alive Um, Or sections of Dead and Alive. Um, Dead and Alive is a very long, very involved sketch. It has been done by tons of clowns with slight variants back and forth forever. Um, I don't think we have any video evidence. I'm not even sure that any of our clowns have done the full dead and alive not the whole thing but um it's a very long very complicated very very detailed uh very trust-based sketch that includes uh a fair amount of um slapstick and stage falls and all sorts of nonsense but where it begins and this is one of the reasons why i love it so much is and and I can, I can almost promise that anybody who actually uh, engages with media on a regular basis, because I will, I will grant you, some people just don't watch movies and don't watch television. And to you, I say, good job. <laughs> um, but if you do, you have seen some variant of people exploring the weird, awkward moment of greeting each other with two greetings that are not the same. The standard for the dead and alive gag is one person... So two people walk up to each other. One person extends a hand for a handshake. The other person 
lifts their hat to tip their hat to the other person. There is then an awkward of uh, a, a awkward of momentness. <laughs> there is then a moment of awkwardness in which each person realizes they have made a mistake, and the appropriate um, the appropriate greeting is the greeting the other person just offered. But they both have that realization at the same time, and so now the opposite people are lifting their hat and offering their hand. And this goes back and forth. And it escalates and is the springboard to much other silliness. But also can... But I have seen it just be its own individual piece of silliness. Where that is just how we how we deal with a greeting is escalating that to the point where we try to figure out, okay, maybe we go with a completely different form of greeting because like now it's just time to just do knocks or or uh or we get to the point where because it sped up so fast we both accidentally use the same form of greeting at the same time and now we we have solved the problem we move on um but it's one of my favorites because we've talked about running into clowns from different backgrounds um before, but we haven't really talked about running into clowns who you have not worked with before, but who come from similar backgrounds. And I think that on the relatively rare occasion where clowns from multiple different groups find themselves on, say, an event site, And now have a moment where they've they they're both walking down the street in opposite <laughs> directions, but they are being viewed by passersby, and they realize they must now interact. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity, and I think I think any clown who has a background in knowing uh, some of the classic American gag bits. From the moment they realize that this is an unavoidable situation and they are now here, they're just hoping. They're hoping the other person knows this one. That's It's definitely one of the ones you're hoping for. And so you're hoping the other person knows this one. You pick one way you're going to greet this person. And you start uh, the, the term in, um, in physical performance is projecting it which is there are lead up movements to almost any movement you're ever going to do most of these things are things that people don't think about consciously Mm -hmm. most of the time but that you can exaggerate when you are in a performance mode so things like before offering before extending a hand for a handshake you might rub that hand on your pants to make sure that it's clean. <laughs> um, you may rub it on your shirt. You may even just start doing that thing where you fully flex out your hand. Your hand is now out and open and in front of you, in front of your body in some way, but not actually extended out yet. It is very visible that the hand is in the direction that might extend. But it's very visible that the hand is in the direction that might extend. So you start working that direction and you're really, really hoping as you're watching that you're going to see the other guy start 
fill, fiddling with his hat. Like, you're watching this and you're hopefully both thinking, here we go. You're never going... Like, if it's somebody from your own troop that you've practiced a ton with, you might take that moment and actually go into, like, a full Dead and Alive. But full Dead and Alive includes things like knowing what the... Knowing certain countings and timings for things are. So that has to be very precision and well rehearsed in advance. But nobody being able to figure out how to greet each other the proper way... You don't have to practice that in advance. You just have to, like, watch the other person carefully. So you go for it. And if you do it to a heightened enough degree, that can be all you do there. Like, you greet each other. You spend that much time trying to figure out how to greet each other. Come to some sort of conclusion. Every If you come to some sort of satisfying conclusion, everybody who has now watched this go down is going to be satisfied. And you can probably just figure out how to say goodbye, which could be a repeat (laughs) of the same situation if you really go for it. Figure out how to say goodbye and now continue walking the directions you were both walking. And now you don't have to figure out some other clever thing to do. Yes. You can now move on from it. And that can be really useful. Just the fact that there are all of these time-honored traditional ways to interact because the reality is the moment where the moment where you and a friend run into each other and you offer knocks and they go for a high five like that happens and it's funny it's funny when it occurs naturally which is one of the reasons why it's so funny when it happens in this exaggerated way it is universal. Is It's just yeah. universal. Like, even if you know that you would never tip your hat to someone because you don't wear a hat or that's, or you've associated that with whatever that you don't want to be, you still understand. Because at some point you've witnessed a friend and another friend make, make a, a, a turkey... <laughs> Out of a out of a hand and a fist bump shenanigan because it's gone back and forth too weirdly. Like that's everyone understands that to some degree. So it is always funny. Eternally. Yes. Yes. Nice. Alright. I like that. Ooh. I have a deep question. Okay. What forces other than plate tectonics, do you think have had the biggest impact on forming the present state of Earth's lithosphere? Okay. I know who asked this question. They've, in fact, since double-checked that we are, in fact, answering this question. (laughs) Um, And they know that they're responsible for me having to look up what the lithosphere is in order to answer this question. Was there a lithograph of the lithosphere? No. Okay. But I like how your brain works. Oh, good. (laughs) Otherwise, this would be much more complicated. (laughs) But, um... I like the cut of your brain, Jib. There's a thing that's said around here not infrequently. Uh, 
public service announcement. We, we, we do not cut each other's brain jibs. Cont- continuing. <laughs> um, so, so uh, you know who you are. And thank you for educating me on what the lithosphere is. And an answer to your question. Gnomes. Gnomes. Yes. Because, and I have, I have a reasoning here. So, gnomes have uh, an interconnected web of tunnels that spans the entire globe. And where, if this was true of, say, uh, badgers, this would probably decay or like increase the amount of travel and amount of change um but i don't think that's the case because i think this has functioned as a stabilitating as a stabilizing factor stabilitating i'm great on new words today uh, uh but a stabilizing factor because these are magically in uh, magically reinforced tunnels oh. so where you still do see some shift and some changing, I'm pretty sure that's responsible. That that can be attributed to the fact that there are regions where there are either fewer tunnels or that the tunnels are just not as well traveled, and so they don't get reinforced magically. But where you have this massive interconnected tunnel system that's reinforced with magic. And it's not going to extend further down than the lithosphere because below the lithosphere you have um, lots of very hot goo and nobody wants to touch that. Numbs and magma don't mix, you're right. No, that's a bad time. So they don't, so, you know, so it's, it's, it's actually really, really stuck being only part of the lithosphere. And I think that it's an incredibly detailed, incredibly... Uh, I think it's a it's a it's a huge force on the lithosphere because um other otherwise it we would have just kept moving a lot more than like the the plates would have and and the plate tectonics but the plates would have moved a lot more if it weren't for this and it would and 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 if we were suddenly to lose the gnomes oh no that would be a really bad time because now you have no reinforcement, like the, in that case, you would have no reinforcement of these tunnel systems and the eventual collapse of them. Protect the gnomes. Please protect the gnomes. Be kind to any gnomes you encounter. They are wonderful. So shout out to all the Pacific Northwest gnomes per- protecting the Cascade subduction zone. And thank you for gnomes worldwide. Yes. We appreciate all the work that you do. Thank you, gnomes. And now I will ask you, what forces other than plate tectonics do you think have had the biggest impact on forming the present state of the Earth's lithosphere? Man, this question rocks. I don't know how we got this far in here without significantly more puns. You are the pun queen. Why are you calling me the punk queen? No, no, no. I don't. I don't sing any of their music. 
You are pun royalty, is what I was saying. It's a royal pun when I do this, I know. Moving on to your answer. Okay, so, gravity. Gravity affects the shape of the lithosphere because it is pulling all that water and all that atmosphere down onto the hot magma and keeping it in place. And if we did not have the gravity, the lithosphere would not be anything like its current formation. No, there's an argument. It would be much more chaotic and probably not there. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a solid argument that it wouldn't be there. And I, I feel like it might be not just gravity originally, but also still gravity that affects the other forces that have shaped the lithosphere, including collisions. Oh, because those, would, those would definitely make an impact. No! There we are. I, I am not alone in my puns. I can do it, too. Some of them just crater, though. Oh! Ouch. So there we are. I think that's all our questions. That is all of our questions today. There we are. We, we have ended this with terrible, terrible puns. <laughs> which I think is appropriate for our Probably. wonderful episode in which you are here with me in this closet. I am so glad to get to be here with you in this closet. It has been lovely. I agree. So thank you all for joining us. This has been great fun. Um, if you have any questions for any of us, please go ahead and uh, you can reach us on the circusfreaks.org website. There is a contact form. Send us an email. Drop us a line. Info at circusfreaks.org. And there's our musical segment. Um, you can also uh, tag me on any Fetty conversation where you have a question and you're just like, hey, clowns. We like questions. Questions for the, questions for the podcast. Um, definitely make sure that if you do that, though, that or an email, make sure that you've somewhere mentioned this is a question directly for the podcast. Otherwise, we're likely to just answer it directly. But there we are. Thank you all for joining us. I need a cup of tea. Tea. Tea sounds lovely. So we will see you all next time on Two Clowns in a Closet. Haha, <laughs> I opened it on the first try. No scrabbling for the, uh, scrabbling, scrambling? I don't think a scrabble board would fit in here. No, probably not.